Amen. Thank you, ladies. And uh, boy, good to see you here tonight. Appreciate you guys letting us come. And uh, boy, I appreciate your pastor. I didn't have enough nice things to say about him as he did me, but I'll do better tomorrow night. Uh, you know, he's a good guy. Uh, when you have, uh, when you have uh, an, a guy in Alabama letting an LSU guy come and preach for him, you know, only a true man of God could allow that. And uh, I even wore my LSU socks for him tonight uh, in honor of his... Uh, <laughs> Boy, I tell you, the first time I ever preached in Alabama, years ago, I preached in northern Alabama, preached revival, and I just cracked a joke about Alabama and Auburn, and I didn't know a whole lot about it, you know, and the pastor says, shh, we don't talk about it. And I was like, are you serious? And he says, yeah. He says, my first year at this church, we had VBS, and it was divided down the center. He said, so I thought it'd be great to have an Alabama versus Auburn VBS, and we decorated this side and decorated this side. He says, it almost split my church. And so for your pastor to have an LSU guy come in, you know he's a true man of God, and I appreciate him so much. Him and his wife have been a, a dear friend to uh, me and my wife. And if I could encourage you to do anything tonight is make some good Christian friends. Uh, we've been friends, I guess we was about 15 years old, and uh, served God together many years, and uh, been a blessing to me. I call him and Vint uh, about my people. He never calls me and Vince about you. He says he has the best people in the world. <clears throat> and uh, we're thinking about moving up here and just living around here with you guys, because from what he says, everything is going right here in Alabama. But uh, he does love you, and he talks about you often, very affectionately, and I was excited to be able to come up. And I have to tell you something funny real quick before we get started. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm not long as a long-winded preacher, but, you know, the Lord multiplies things, right? I mean, bread and fishes, messages, points, he can multiply all of that. But I did something I've never done before today, never in my life. I've been preaching 28 years. This has never happened in my life, so this is a good one. Uh, we get out at the Airbnb, and we're unloading everything to go into the room. And uh, I start looking around, and, and, and Brother Decker was standing there in the doorway, and I was trying not to panic, but I was panicked because I'm looking around there in the, in the living room. It's not there. The bedroom, it's not there. The car, the trunk, it's not there. I'm looking for my briefcase. Uh, in my briefcase is my Bible. In my briefcase is my laptop. In my briefcase is my life. Everything is in there. I mean, I don't even have a pen or gospel tracts tonight. I don't even know if I can preach without having that in my pocket. And so I go to my wife, I says, where's my briefcase? And she says, well, you had it in your hand. And then I re remembered my daughter on the way out the door says, Dad, it's not her fault, but she says, Dad, uh, don't forget to water the plants. And I set my briefcase on the washing machine at our house and walked out the door and left all of that. And so uh, I am preaching out of my wife's Bible tonight. And so if it seems a little bit more effeminate, the message, and that's what it's all about, okay? <laughs> Genesis chapter number 18. Take your Bibles out. Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to jump into this tonight and try to kick this thing off. I'm thankful for you missionaries. I appreciate all of you and your faithfulness. My grandparents were missionaries to Mexico. And I got to spend a lot of, uh, a lot of time down there in Old Mexico with them and the church they built down there and uh, there's just something close to my heart and I believe close to the heart of God about missionaries. Uh, you know I'm a pastor. I get to live in America. I get to live in a nice home and, and pastor wonderful people and a great church uh, but missionaries they leave all of that behind and I just believe there's an extra crown and a gold star in heaven for them and I love you. I appreciate you and thankful for all that you do. Genesis 18 if you're there let's stand together those that can and will uh, tonight. Genesis 18 and uh, boy, my wife's Bible is, does not look like my Bible. Uh, boy, this is scary, but we're just going to go with it, okay? Genesis chapter 18, look down to verse number 20. <clears throat> Very familiar story. We're just going to jump right into it for the sake of time. 
The Bible says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come, up, come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? We know the story. He asked over and over and over again. We finally get down to verse 32. The Bible says, and he says, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he says, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you tonight for this church, these wonderful people coming out, Lord, on a Wednesday night for Missions Conference. I pray that you'd bless them, and uh, Lord, bless the efforts, Lord, of this church in this area of missions. Lord, use these dear people that are so willing to go on our behalf. I pray that you bless them. I keep a hedge about them that much fruit would abound from their labors. Bless our time in your word tonight. I pray your will be done. Bless our service back home, the one preaching. Uh, be with dad, Lord, as he brings your word tonight. Lord, keep a hedge about his heart and giving boldness as he stands to preach. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a story we know very well about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, very easy to understand. Uh, a city of people, a world much like somewhat of the characteristics of the world we're living in now, uh, where their wickedness has consumed them, and God being a just God is about to step out and render his wrath upon this city. God is holy, God is patient, but God is also just. Uh, and God is not a respecter of persons. And that, that's an important reminder tonight to America, uh, that God is not going to spare America. Uh, if he has gone through all the trouble to be a just God throughout the ages, he will not spare us when we ultimately turn our backs on him. But notice he's telling Abraham exactly what he's going to do. And I want you to notice the reaction. I want you to see what Abraham does as he is coming face to face with what God is about to do to this wicked nation. Now, some of us, I hope not a lot of us tonight, but some of us at times might would look at a Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe like you and I would maybe look at Los Angeles. I don't know if you've ever been to Los Angeles. I, I went there a couple of years ago, spent a little time there. Uh, very wicked city, very wicked state that is there. Thank God for the men of God that are out there doing his will, but it's a very wicked place. Maybe Las Vegas. Uh, I've never been there. I've never been to Sin City, but we would look at a city like that and think, why doesn't God just wipe them off the map? Now, I understand the sentiment. But I want you to notice what Abraham's reaction was. Rather than have a voice of condemnation, Abraham had a voice of intervention. Rather than sit back and be satisfied with the city being destroyed, Abraham had a burden to go and to intervene for these people. Now, folks, I want you to understand there's something in all of us tonight that when we see something bad happen, we are thankful that's not our problem, right? Right? Uh, every once in a while in an ambulance, we live, our church is right on Highway 49 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and ambulances will pass by, and every once in a while, my wife and I will text each other, hey, heard an ambulance, are you okay? And she'll say, yeah, okay. And I say, she'll say, are you okay? I say, yeah, I'm okay. And she's glad that it's neither one of us, and it just goes on out of our mind. Why? It's not our problem. It's somebody else's problem. The other night, I was holding a baby in our church. We have a boom of babies. I don't know how many we have, eight, ten babies born this past year. What? 
12. My wife just said 12 babies. So we are, we're growing our church one way or the other, okay? And that's a great way to grow your church. One way or the other, grow it, win them, uh, or have them born in your church. And I was holding one of the babies, and I always take a selfie with all of our newborns. Always take a selfie, and I have it on my phone. So I took a selfie. As a matter of fact, one of our moms the other day called and says, Pastor, would you send me the picture of the baby you took with our, with our kid? And so I sent her the picture. She said, Pastor, that's not our baby. I mean, they all look alike to me. <laughs> They're just little ball-headed children, okay? Uh, they all look the same to me. But I was holding one of the babies, and all of a sudden, I began to detect, and I want to be very, uh, I don't want to be crude here tonight, okay, but I began to detect an aroma of something very unpleasant, and uh, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, where's mom? Where's mom? I found her, I walked over, and I said, hey, this is yours, and I gave it right back to her. Not my problem. Not my baby. Hey, mine is 16 years old, that's the only one we ever had, and uh, she's past that stage, thank God, not my problem anymore. But sometimes that's the way we are with people. If we're not careful, that mentality will slip into even independent Baptist churches to where we get to the place where, you know, the people over in Africa, not my problem. Uh, the people in Australia or Germany, hey, not my problem. And yet this is what God has called us to. What is our theme this week? Our theme is making a difference. God didn't just call us to make a difference in our Jerusalem, but our Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. And we've got to get that mentality back to where we are concerned about winning the lost, not just right here in Hartsville, Alabama, but winning the lost to Christ all over the world through our faithful giving to missions. I know you know this. I see the missionaries all over the wall. You can't outgive God. But oh, how much more could God do with us if we had a burden to do what that says right there to make a difference? I think about Christ. When Christ saw the people, the Bible says they were scattered as sheep, not having to have a shepherd. The Bible says he had compassion on them. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't go, not my problem? Aren't you glad that years and years ago that Christ didn't look down from heaven and go, not my problem? Look at a lost and dying world and say, not my problem. Hey, uh, you know, he looked down and saw sinful man. They're getting what they deserve. But if we're not careful, we get that idea and we get that mentality as Christians tonight. What I want you to think about just for a few minutes is the thought of making a difference. All right? The idea, the thought, the truth, the principle as we open up tonight on making a difference. Now, remember what our Father calls us. What did he tell us? Right off the bat, these newly minted disciples, he says, ye are salt and ye are light. You think about salt and light. You know what they do? They make a difference. Don't they? Man, look, I, uh, I have some northern folks in our church. If you're a northern folk, I'm not knocking you, all right? But they just season their food a little differently. Uh, they season their tea a little differently, too, you know? Uh, man, I just have to take, take a little salt and put on there every once in a while. Why? Because that man just needs a difference made to it. You ever tried to walk through your house, your living room at night? With the lights off, you're trying to tiptoe so your wife and daughter don't wake up. And isn't it amazing how fast you move in the dark and you don't realize it? And the only way you realize is when your toe hits the corner of something. And all of a sudden, your wife says, why didn't you turn the light on? I said, well, I didn't want to wake you up. But light makes a difference, does it not? The Bible says we are salt and we are light. We are called to make a difference, whether it's in Hartzell or Germany or Australia or, or Uruguay, wherever you're at. God has called us to make a difference. And I believe Abraham gives us an outline tonight on exactly how to do that. I'm a three-point preacher, okay? Our people know that. Uh, I'm going to give you three quick things tonight. If you'll pay attention in a hurry, I'll preach in a hurry. And if the Holy Spirit speaks in a hurry, we'll get out in a hurry, all right? Look down, if you will, to verse number 16. I had a preacher tell me years ago. He says, you preach fast, don't you? I said, yeah, they complain if you don't. 
And uh, he said, you keep up with the Holy Spirit, we'll keep up with you. All right, so I'll do that if you'll do that. Uh, verse number 16, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that here's God, he's there with these angels, and he's telling Abraham what's going on, and he explains the pending destruction here, and the angels head on to Sodom. But watch what happens in verse 16. The Bible says the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. But then look down to verse number 22. The Bible says, the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I believe every word in there is inspired. I believe God didn't put anything in there for a filler. I think there's something very important right there in verse number 22, where the Bible says, but Abraham yet stood before the Lord. I believe that's the first ingredient tonight that if we're going to make a difference as Abraham is seeking to make a difference in the lives of these people, notice the first thing that he put on the table when the Bible says he stood yet before the Lord, number one tonight. That was his presence. Abraham was willing to stand yet before the Lord. Abraham did not desire for the people to be destroyed. He knew they had it coming. He knew they were a wicked race of people. And he knew that, you know, they deserve what they have coming. But Abraham also knew that God had been merciful to him. And he knew that God had been good to him. And Abraham says, I am going to stand in the place of these people. Now, how does that relate to you and I? Hear me out tonight. It's hard to make a difference if you don't show up. At some point, you got to show up. At some point, you just got to be in your place. Can I tell you why the world's dying and going to hell? It's not dying and going to hell because God is not willing to save them. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The reason the world is dying and going to hell is because the church is not showing up. That's why. You look at the lobbyists up in Washington, D.C., lobbying for some of the most uh, horrendous things on the planet that God still, by the way, calls an abomination. And the lobbyists are 1 and 2% representing of our population, and yet they get everything they want passed. Why? They show up. They show up. The reason we're not winning this lost world to Christ is we're just not showing up. Abraham says, God, I, I can't walk away, and I can't, I heard what you said, and I know what they deserve, but God, I can't just walk away, and I'm going to stand here and plead for them. Oh, thank God for people who are in their place. I'm thankful as a kid. Before my dad became my pastor, my dad's my pastor most of my life, and my dad's preaching for me right now uh, at our church, or is about to preach in about five minutes. Uh, it's, uh, it's 6.55, in case you were wondering. That'll save you from looking at your watch, okay? That embarrasses everybody when you do that. Uh, I'm thankful for the pastor that stood in the pulpit as a nine-year-old boy when I trusted Christ. I'm, I thank God he was in his place. I'm thankful that I went to a church where I had a faithful man of God. By the way, you do have a faithful man of God here at your church. You ought to thank God for that. We're losing them right and left. The, the heat of persecution and adversity and difficulty is withering good men of God in their pulpits. And if you got one, hold up his hands. I got a text a moment ago from one of my faithful men. He says, I've got your hands tonight. He doesn't even know I'm not going to be at church tonight. He knows I'm going to be preaching somewhere. He says, holding up your hands tonight. Thank God for people who stand in their place. But can I tell you something? That's not just for pastors. That's not just for missionaries. That's for folks that God has called to a local New Testament church to be an active participant, not just in Jerusalem, but Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. How do we do that? Missions. Missions. Can I ask you tonight, 
is your presence being made known in this area of missions? I talked to a lot of employers. We have some employers in our church. And uh, they said it's hard to find qualified employees. You know, it's hard to find somebody to work. Now, you have to understand, some of these businesses, we're not talking about neurosurgeons. We're talking about snow cone stands. We're talking about lawn maintenance companies. Uh, we're talking about handyman services. It's hard. I had one of our men the other day call me. He says, Pastor, could we start a shop class at our Christian school? I said, why? He says, I can't find any workers. Why don't we just start training some at our church? Do you know what the number one thing they're finding hard to find the qualification for in their workers? People that will show up. We can train you how to make a snow cone. We can train you how to cut a yard. We can train you how to hang drywall. But we can't train you if you're not there. And they're finding a hard time getting people to show up. Can I tell you, I wonder how often God's not that way. I'm just looking for some people to show up. That, hey, I'm going to make my presence known. Abraham, watch this, is making his presence known. The least I can do is stand in the gap for these people and ask that God could use me somehow to spare them. By the way, you know, none of us were born saved, were we? None of us deserve to be saved. Do you know why we're saved? Somebody stood in the gap for us. Number one, his name was Jesus Christ. But I'll bet you somewhere in your testimony there's a somebody. Thank God. I just got a text message from one of our ladies before we left the Airbnb a moment ago, and it was a Facebook post that somebody had tagged one of our teenagers in, or tagged our teenagers in. Our teenagers go out on Teen Soul Winning every other Wednesday, and they're out with Aaron was driving them today and had two people saved on Teen Soul Winning today. And somebody tagged our teenagers. And look, our teenagers aren't perfect either, but thank God we had a few go out. I think we had 22 go out today, and they went out, saw two people saved, and somebody tagged them on Facebook. They said, I went to a gas station to get gas, and two teenagers were witnessing to the clerk about how to be saved. They says, I don't know who's uh, over the teenagers at Central Baptist Church, but somebody's doing something right there. Can I tell you, my teenagers disappoint me a lot, all right? If they're watching tonight, I love you, but they know it's true. I disappoint them all the time. Usually Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night when I disappoint them, okay? But boy, thank God there were some goofy teenagers who could have been home playing video games th this afternoon, and yet, no, they were out there passing out gospel tracts and saw two people get saved. Hey, thank God they were in their place today. Thank God. The other day, my daughter was my soul-winning partner. And uh, my wife and my daughter, there, there's three of us, and three is kind of, you know, three's a crowd. So when you go to somebody's door, it looks like a mob standing there waiting. So we alternate in the car, my wife, my daughter, my wife. So my daughter happened to be there on the first door. Knocked on the first door. Usually the first door is a dud, okay? Statistically, I don't know if that's proven, but I just feel like usually the first door is a dud. Nobody's home. We knocked on the door. This hardest person behind the door, who has that? And you hate to say the preacher because now you're like, now they're not opening the door. I said, it's a preacher. Who? I said, it's a preacher. And then I just keep saying it lower and lower and lower. That way, you know. Uh, they can't, they're finally going to open the door because they can't hear me. And uh, a lovely young lady by the name of Kimberly come to the door. I think she's in her, her early 20s. And I sat there and began to talk to Kimberly about the Lord. And I said, Kimberly, if you die right now, are you sure you go to heaven? And she goes, nope. I'm like, oh, really? You know, because usually they tell you, yeah, everybody in South Mississippi is saved. Them and Jesus are like this, okay? doesn't matter how they're living or what they're doing. I mean, they could just get back from a bank robbery, taking the ski mask off. Yeah, me and Jesus like this. Yeah, we are culturally Christian down in South Mississippi. I, I don't know, it's probably not that way here, but we are culturally Christian there. A few minutes later, I, I said, Kimberly, I walked through the plan of salvation. Kimberly, would you like to be saved? She goes, I sure would. My daughter's looking at me like, is this how it always is? I'm like, of course. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's on your dad, you know? He said, no, 
I was like, it don't usually happen like this. She bowed her head. She got saved. She's been at just about every church service since. She was at Ladies Bible Study on Monday, and she's going to be baptized. She's going to be baptized on Easter. She's going to be baptized. You know how many times I passed Kimberly's house? I passed her house so many times right off Highway 49. And you think about, what if I hadn't been in my place on that day? Man, Kimberly would still be lost. I wonder who lives on your road that needs you to stand in your place. You're their neighbor. They're not my neighbor. They're your neighbor. This is your church. Those are your missionaries. These missionaries got to get where they're going, but we got to be in our place. You can't make a difference if you don't do what Abraham's doing in verse 22. You got to be willing to show up. And another young man, I'm going to hurry, another young man by the name of Cartavius. Uh, Cartavius will bless your heart. Uh, he got saved at our church. I forget who led him to Christ. Got saved at our church and uh, comes to everything. All right? I mean everything. Uh, we, we had to tell him, uh, baby showers, hey, no, you don't have to come to that one, all right? You know, uh, stuff like that. Cartavis sitting in the foyer one day. I come along, Cartavis, hey, how was work today? I got fired. I said, well, I'm sorry about that. Why? He says, well, my boss says I got to show up more. He was showing up to everything we had going on at the church. He lost his job. He still comes to everything. He's on bus ministry. He's out soul winning. Man, I, I think it was Michael Coates led him to Christ. Thank God Michael was in his place. There's people like that everywhere. The problem is the church is not showing up. Why don't we do what Abraham did? Watch this. The Bible says Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I think about Jesus in John 4 where the Bible says, and he must needs go through Samaria. I think about Christ saying there's a woman at that well and I've got to be in my place. His presence was needed there. Now, I don't know if you feel important, okay? Y'all are from Alabama. Y'all always win championships, okay? LSU wins one about every 10 years. Y'all win one every other year. I'm hoping that'll change now that you lost your coach, okay? I'm just being honest behind the pulpit for you tonight. Maybe because you're in Alabama, you feel important. Man, maybe you don't feel important. I don't know. But there's somebody that you're important to. There may be somebody over in Germany that you're important to. You say, well, I may never see them. Yes, you will. You'll see them in heaven one day. But the way you're going to make a difference is to make your presence known through your missions giving. Folks, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and we see the heavy hitters from earth aren't the heavy hitters up there. We just had a lady retire our bus ministry 50 years in our bus ministry at our church. She bought her own school bus. She's 85 years old and just stopped being the bus captain. 50 years. Miss Rushing is her name, Miss Annette Rushing. We're going to see people like her when we get to heaven. And you're going to see them at the front of God's line. You're going, who is that? I never heard about them. I never read about them. But boy, God knew about them. Do you know why? Watch this. They made a difference by making their presence known. Uh, the brother mentioned 9-11 a while ago. One of the most startling stories about 9-11 is the story of 34-year-old Stephen Siller. Stephen Siller had just gotten off his work as a fireman and was driving home when he got the call about the towers being hit. He was a fireman. He was on his way home. He had a golf date with his brother and his dad and wanted to get home to that, but he heard the reports coming over the towers were on fire. Stephen Siller pulled his truck over, put on his gear, 90 pounds worth of gear, and began running, I forget which tunnel it was in New York City, all the way to the South Tower, I believe. That's where we have the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. He would run in that tower just about in time for it to collapse and take his life. Here's a young man. He didn't have to go. It was not his shift. It was not his duty. 
And yet in his heart, he knew that's where his presence needed to be. Now, folks, if people are willing to do that to save a corruptible soul, how much more should we be willing to make our presence known for an eternal soul that's going to spend eternity in heaven or hell? Number one tonight, how do you make a difference? It's through your presence. The Bible says ye are the light of the world. Do you know we like to complain about what's going on in our world, don't we? Do you know what's going on in our world is less about the presence of darkness and more about the absence of light? You know, darkness is at bay of the light. Darkness is at the mercy of light. And we sit around and we complain, why is this country and why is this world so dark? It's because there's an absence of light. You're thinking, boy, this darkness is powerful. What a horrible thought. This darkness is powerful. The darkness is at the mercy of the light. The problem is the light's got to show up. Number one tonight, how do you make a difference? Well, it starts with your presence. Number two, look down if you will. You'll see the second ingredient. Abraham drew near, verse 23, and says, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50. So here he goes. He starts at 50. God, what if there's 50 people there? He's trying to make a difference in the lives of this city. And then he goes down and says, Lord, if, if there's 40, he keeps going down the list. And finally he gets all the way down and says, Lord, verse 32, what if there's 10? What if there's 10? Can I show you what he's doing the second thing real quickly? Number one, it was his presence that he offered in order to make a difference. Number two, notice it was his persistence. He's being persistent. If you listen close, uh, I get down to verse 32. Uh, I believe Abraham was human, just like you and I. If you look at verse number 32, you can see it's kind of awkward for him. Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Lord, I know, I, Lord, I know I'm bugging you. You know how your kids are sometimes? Or maybe you don't. Maybe your kids are perfect. But, you know, sometimes your kids are tugging at you. Mama, 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 mama. And you want to change your name to something else? Daddy, 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 tugging on you, and they're just persistent. And finally, whatever it is, you, you usually end up giving it to them, right? Oh, I hope not. They're persistent. This is what Abraham's doing. He's saying, God, I, I don't want you to be angry with me, but God, I have to keep coming one more time. God, I can't give up on these people one more time. I want to tell you something. Persistence in the life of the church today is almost non-existent. I mean, somebody hurts our feelings, we're gone. We're gone. I told our church the other day, and I love our church, we have two or three Walmarts uh, within the sphere of where our church is at, two in our town and one in a neighboring town that we can drive to. And I says, we're picking churches today like we pick a Walmart. Well, I think I'll go to this one today. I think I'll go to this one today. Hey, whatever happened to the will of God? That, hey, God called you to a place. Look, you are here at this place. I think your theme this year, for such a time. And hey, make your presence known. How do you do that? Persistence. Look, somebody gets mad at you. Be persistent anyway. Somebody has bad breath. Be persistent anyway. Hey, you wouldn't quit your job over that. Right? Why? Because our job involves money. Do you know what being faithful and persistent to the house of God and our giving to missions, do you know what's on the other end of that? Souls. Souls. Do you know there's a lady at the Dollar General down the road from our house? Our Dollar General, I would way rather go to Dollar General than Walmart. Okay? That's how I know I'm getting old. When I was a kid, I loved to go to Walmart. And, uh, and now I just like to go to Dollar General when I can. And so I'll go down to Dollar General, and there's this lady. She doesn't smile. She doesn't smile. Every time I go in there, I'll pull out a gospel track. Hey, I'd love to have you come go to church with us sometime. Uh, and, you know, she doesn't smile. 
I have a goal to get this lady to smile. One day I'm going to make a joke. I'm going to come up with the best joke, a dad joke in the world, and I'm going to make her smile. One day I want to see that lady walk in our church. But I want to tell you something. If you give up just when it's hard, don't expect to see God work. Brother Decker and I were talking earlier about difficulties in ministry. I have never seen a time. Uh, I've been in ministry all of my life. I spent my time as a child in a pastor's home around missionaries or my grandparents. I've been around a lot of ministry in my life. And I have never, ever seen Satan so persistent to destroy the church. I've never seen it. I mean, it's a wildfire in our country right now. Just about every pastor I talk to is on the brink of wanting to quit. It's hard. And the devil's being so persistent to stop the people of God. Can I tell you why he wins? We're not persistent. We get mad, something hurts our feelings, it gets difficult, and we quit. I looked at my daughter today on the way here. We were talking about difficulty in our ministry. And I says, if I quit because it gets hard, one day I have to look in the face of Job. And I have to look in the face of Joseph. And then one day I have to look in the face of Jesus. And they're gonna say, you quit because it was hard? You quit because people didn't like you. You quit because people made fun of you. No, folks, listen. If we're going to make a difference, God help us to have some persistence tonight. No, look, do you know inside of all of us there's a rebel, right? I don't care how nice you are. You may be somebody's little old grandmother tonight, and God bless you for being who you are. But inside of every one of us as human beings, there is a rebel. Okay, it's in there because you have a flesh body. And this stuff does not want to do what God wants you to do. There's a rebel in there. Can I encourage you to do something? Be rebellious. But to the devil. Turn some of that rebellion inside of you and say, no, by the grace of God, I'm going to make my presence known. And not only am I going to show up in this area of missions, I'm going to be persistent in this area of missions. That's how we accomplish the will of God in our, in our life. There's a story about a Welsh gentleman who was in love with his neighbor, a beautiful lady wanted to marry her, went over and began to sweet-talk her. And probably much like in my case, he's not a very good romantical kind of guy. Maybe he didn't learn enough poetry. Maybe he didn't really have the right cologne on or something. He began to fumble over himself, and then he got embarrassed, and she began to laugh. He got his feelings hurt when she laughed, and he ran home ashamed and embarrassed and mad at her. He went back over the next day, and he knocked on her door. And he just waited, and she never answered. He went over the next day, knocked on her door. She never answered. Her sister would tell him later, she's mad at you and does not want to talk to you. True story. Once a week, that man would walk over to her house and leave a note under her door that said, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me. I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me. Every week, he'd go over, knock on the door, slide the note under the door. I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me. Finally, one day, after 2,184 letters, after 40 years, she opened the door, accepted his apology, and married him at the ripe old age of 74. That man deserves a trophy. Bravo, sir. Bravo, you are my hero. He got her. He got her. How do you get her? Persistent. You ever thought about all the things you're persistent about? Have you ever thought about all the things you're persistent about? Is it a deer in the woods? A sale at Black Friday? Or maybe just a hobby or a habit? We're persistent about it. Why? Because we care about it. 
I promise you will not make a difference in the lives of people around this world in the area of missions if we don't learn how to be at least as much persistent about getting them the gospel as we are about getting us what we desire most of the time in our carnal flesh. Think about it this way. Someone once says that persistence is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't give up when you get tired. You give up when he gets tired. Think about it. You don't give up when you get tired. If you do that, you're going to die. You give up when he gets tired and after you've beat him. Aren't you glad? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Everything that seeks to fight and give us resistance about the will of God, everything that tries to hold us down, isn't it sad when we wake up in the morning how hard it is to pick up and open this book? It amazes me all the things that come up in my mind and my heart that I don't have time to read my Bible. But folks, listen to me. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Be persistent and beat the gorilla that's on our back that's keeping us from accomplishing the will of God, not just here but around the world. How do we do that? Number two, persistence. Persistence. The Bible says, if you look down to verse 32, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten. Here's Abraham begging with God, persistent with God. God, these are people. God, don't destroy these people. Can I tell you something tonight? I'm thankful for the people who begged God on my behalf and didn't get weary in their well-doing. You know, I've read Galatians 6 9 many times in my ministry. I've preached out of it many times in my ministry. I never understood weariness until the last three years. Our world has changed drastically in the last three years. I, I cannot describe it. The world has changed in the last three years from the world that even I grew up in. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up on uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, Sesame Street. That's where I grew up at. And we're looking at the world the last three years. This thing has gotten exponentially more wicked. And I never understood weariness. How could you get weary? I mean, look, we're going to church and we're reading our Bible. How can you get weary in that? And yet, all oh, the attacks of Satan, the resistance on doing the will of God. I understand weariness. But what does the Bible say? It gives us a promise. We will reap if we faint not. Do you know what these missionaries are doing? They're going over and harvesting the reaping for you and I. Fruit is abounding to our account. If they're going to be persistent to go, why don't we be persistent to give? We've got to help them get where they're going because God promised us if we'll persist, we'll reap if we faint not. So number two, notice the persistence. And finally, I'll give you this. I'm not going to go extra long tonight. That way you're not scared to come back tomorrow night, okay? I know you go for the long one on Wednesday or on a Friday night, right? Look all the way down. Look all the way down. He gets to verse 33. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communion with Abraham and Abraham returned unto his place. Now, folks, there's something very important here I want you to see. Abraham asked God and asked God and asked God, and yet then he waited on God to answer. I told my wife one day, I probably never will, but I say that I will, I'd love to write a book on the white spaces in the Bible. There's a lot said when nothing is said. Okay? So Abraham asked God, God, would you do it for 50? God, 45. All the way down the line, finally he gets to 10. He says, I will not destroy it for tens, for ten's sake. The last thing I want you to see, and this is very, very important. If God doesn't intervene in this world, everything is in vain. Our best efforts won't get it done. It's got to be God. With God, all things are possible. But without him, we can do nothing. We've got to have him. 
So how long should we be persistent? Well, can I just tell you simply tonight without sounding like a smart aleck? As long as it takes. And that's the third thing in making a difference tonight. Notice his patience. His patience. It seems insignificant, but it's, it's truly important tonight. Probably the greatest sin that I deal with on a daily basis. It's not alcohol or drugs. It's not bad music. Probably the greatest sin I deal with is patience. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. Now, folks, if we don't get to the place where we're willing to be persistent enough to wait on God until God is ready to work, I want to tell you this, we're not going to see what God desires to do. I had a bad day. I had a missionary in my office, Brother Donbeck, you know him. And he's just an old school missionary guy. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, he says he's going to be a martyr. I hope not, uh, at least on our property, you know, but insurance and all. But uh, he's in my office a while back, and I said, Brother Donbeck, I'm tired of this, you know? I want to fight the devil outside the walls, not inside the walls. Now listen to me, look, unless you, can I just throw a freebie in here really quick, okay? Unless you just got a really bad beef with your pastor, let it go. Why? Because he's fighting enough of the devils outside the wall to have to fight them inside the wall. And I looked at Brother Dahlbeck and I says, I'm tired of fighting the devil in here. I just want to quit. And boy, he put his little bony finger across my desk. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're in my office, man. Put your finger in my face. I put my finger, no, I didn't tell him that. He says, if you walk out of here, this church will never be what God wanted it to be because you quit on God. I'm like, good grief. Don't you hate it when people preach to you in your own church? But he was right. We are living in a fast food generation where we've yet to learn how to wait on God. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says to run a race with patience. Patience, meaning I'm, I'm going to wait and see what God's got for me at the end of this thing. Can I tell you, we see the patience of Christ. Oh, go back and read in the Gospels as Christ would make his way up Golgotha and just read what Christ went through for you and I. Thank God he stuck with it. Not only was he persistent, but he was patient, waiting to fulfill the will of God. Folks, if we just desire tonight to make a difference, we'd be patient to see all of what God desired to do with us. Notice he offered his presence, he offered his persistence, but then he was patient to hear from God. Something hit me when I was preparing for this message. Have you ever wondered what might be different in your life if you just waited on God a little longer? I told our, our, our tech guy at our church the other day, he's one of our assistants, I was sitting in my office having a pity party. You ever have one of those? I can throw the best. You want to come join me sometime? We'll get some hats and balloons and we'll have a pity party all together. Just having a tough day. And I said, this is a mess. This is a mess. And the thought just kind of popped in my heart. The word mess is just the word message that's not finished yet. I think about Job and how Job went through that trial and he lost more than I will ever lose and went through more than I will ever go through in his life. And I think about Job looking at his life thinking, boy, this is a mess. Oh, no, no, no. Just stick around, Job. Stick around. God's giving you a message. And oh, it's going to be a message that's going to help people all down through the ages, seeing the faithfulness of God, the blessings of God, the fruitfulness of God. But Job, you've got to survive the mess in order to see the message. You've got to have patience to wait on God. Folks, can I just encourage you something tonight as we kind of kick this thing off? Learn to do what Abraham did. Give God your presence in order to make a difference. 
Give God your persistence to make a difference. And then give God your patience. You see, persistence goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Patience says, I'm going to wait until I hear from God. I'm going to be still. You know, that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. My dad, when we found out we were expecting, I'm going to close my Bible to give you hope that I'm almost done. We found out we were expecting, went and told mom and dad, whoa, they're excited, first grandchild. My dad doesn't give a whole lot of advice. My dad's not a big talker. He doesn't talk a lot except for when he's preaching. Dad says, can I just give you some advice about that child? We didn't know it was going to be a little girl at the time. He says, teach her to be quiet and teach her to be still. I was looking for something profound. Fortune cookie, Max Lucado kind of stuff. That's it? Then I begin to realize the great value in that. A lot of kids can't be quiet and a lot of kids can't be still. But you know, a lot of our father's kids can't be still either. I'm not talking about can't quit moving. I'm talking about be patient to wait on God until his will comes to pass. Job had 42 chapters. He just waited on God. The Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength, mount upon wings as eagles. I wonder if we're missing out on our wings sometimes because we simply were not willing to wait on God long enough to make a difference. One of my guys texted me today, one of our staff, and he says, in a few years, we're going to tell the new staff that's coming and people that God's bringing to our church what God did on this day to bring us to this point. You know how that encouraged the heart of his pastor? That, man, there's a guy willing to wait and be patient on seeing God work and see God do what only God could do at our church. Now, folks, look, your presence is wonderful. That's where it starts, all right? But, but you've got to show up. You've got to only not just be here. You've got to show up in this area of missions. We're not going to make a difference. We don't show up. Make our presence known around the world through our missions. But then be persistent. Let's not give up when everybody else gives up. Let's be faithful. Let's be persistent. And then let's decide, I am going to offer to God my patience. God, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to be faithful on you until I see you work. I want you to know that's a tall order because being still is hard. But I promise you, if we'll just be still long enough, we'll see God do what only God could do. I'll give you this verse and we're done. Lamentations 3.25. I just preached through this a couple years ago at our church. Preached through the whole book of Lamentations. And uh, it's not a book I thought I would like, but boy, I enjoyed it. It fed me so much. Lamentations 3.25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Sometimes, talk about the deck of this tonight at supper. Sometimes I don't make forward progress in my day. You ever feel like that? You don't make much forward progress? Can I tell you, on the days you don't make forward progress, here's the progress you've got to make. Vertical progress. Just be patient to stand. What does Ephesians say? And having done all to stand. Having done all to stand. There are days, look, you're going to be sitting here waiting on God. God, I need you to work. God, I need you to intervene. God, I need you to do something. And God's not doing anything yet. Why? Because he makes all things beautiful in his time, not ours. And I really wish God would get on my, my time sometimes. What do I do? I just learn to be still. You say, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know why it's taking so long. But you're God, and I'm not. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God, I'm just going to make vertical progress today. I'm going to wait on you, and I'm going to be faithful until I see you work. Can I tell you, the end of the story is God says, okay, Abraham, okay. I'm willing to work on your behalf. But what did it take? Well, it took his presence. It took his persistence. 
It took his patience to wait until God gave him the answer that he needed. Folks, I wonder what God wants to do with us tonight in the lives of people around the world. You look at all these flags and think, these are people who have an ever-living soul that you and I get to make a difference in their life. But we've got to make sure we're showing up in this area of missions. Let's be persistent. Let's not be wishy-washy in and out. And let's be patient to watch what God wants to do. Tonight, can we have our heads bowed and eyes closed just for a few minutes? And I'm going to ask the pastor to pray.